Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Raiders Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, John, it's your turn. What did you pick? I picked a story called Story of Your Life by Ted Chang. It came out in 2000. All right. You got a section you're going to read? Yep. I'm just going to start right at the beginning. Your father is about to ask me the question. This is the most important moment in our lives, and I want to pay attention. Note every detail. Your dad and I have just come back from an evening out, dinner and a show. It's after midnight. We came out onto the patio to look at the full moon. Then I told your dad I wanted to dance, so he humors me, and now we're slow dancing. A pair of 30-somethings swaying back and forth in the moonlight like kids. I don't feel the night chill at all. And then your dad says, do you want to make a baby? Right now, your dad and I have been married for about two years, living on Ellis Avenue. When we move out, you'll be too young to remember the house, but we'll show you pictures of it, tell you stories about it. I'd love to tell you the story of this evening, the night you're conceived, but the right time to do that would be when you're ready to have children of your own, and we'll never get that chance. Telling it to you any earlier wouldn't do any good. For most of your life, you won't sit still to hear such a romantic, you'd say sappy, story. I remember the scenario of your origin you'll suggest when you're 12. The only reason you had me was so you could get a maid you wouldn't have to pay, you'll say bitterly, dragging the vacuum cleaner out of the closet. That's right, I'll say. 13 years ago, I knew the carpets would need vacuuming around now, and having a baby seemed to be the cheapest and easiest way to get the job done. Now kindly get on with it. If you weren't my mother, this would be illegal, you'll say, seething as you unwind the power cord and plug it into the wall outlet. That will be in the house on Belmont Street. I'll live to see strangers occupy both houses, the one you're conceived in and the one you grow up in. Your dad and I will sell the first a couple of years after your arrival. I'll sell the second shortly after your departure. By then, Nelson and I will have moved into our farmhouse and your dad will be living with what's her name. I know how the story ends. I think about it a lot. I also think a lot about how it began just a few years ago when ships appeared in orbit and artifacts appeared in meadows. The government said next to nothing about them while the tabloid said every possible thing. And then I got a phone call, a request for a meeting. Wow, that was a good section to read. Yeah. In retrospect, that first section really sets up a lot of stuff that plays out through the story. So Right. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you came across this story or why you picked it. Well, that's a long story. So a few years ago, this movie was about to come out and I was like, (laughs) oh, this movie sounds cool and interesting and a little ridiculous because I was like, why would you use a linguist to interpret alien language? And I, I, my um, undergraduate degree is linguistics and my most of my PhD is linguistics. It's technically comparative studies, but for example, my qualifying exams were all linguistics. So I do have a lot of linguistic background in my education. So I was like, this is weird, but I sounds really cool. And I'd like to see it. And then uh, I saw the movie and uh, had feelings about it and realized it was based <laughs> on a story and then uh, decided I needed to look up the story and read it. And um, yeah, I guess I should, I'll, I'll just right away. Let me just say a lot of what the story is based on is a thing called linguistic determinism, which is has been discredited. There's been studies and the movie uses the, uh, refers to the Sapir Whorf hypothesis, which is based on these two academics, uh, Sapir and Whorf, um, who had different ideas about language and Whorf's idea about the Hopi languages and what it does to our to the Hopi conceptual system are just flat out wrong. He didn't he didn't understand what he was looking. 
looking at. But, you know, the idea of linguistic determinism kind of just has hung around for a long time. It's really popular. I should say what that is, is um, basically linguistic determinism is the idea that your conceptual, the conceptual structure of a language determines a person's conceptual structure. There's a meme that goes around, you see a lot where it talks about how Homer in like the Odyssey or the Iliad always referred to the ocean as wine dark seas. And people point out he didn't have a word for blue in his language. And that's why he always called it the wine dark sea because he couldn't see blue. And, you know, first of all, he could see blue. He has the same cones in his eyes as everyone else. And also he's a poet. So you'd expect him to use uh, something flowery when he's describing the ocean. But there's, there's, there are a few experiments that kind of show the language you speak has a kind of a marginal effect on the way you think of things. Like they'll, they'll test Russian speakers and Russian has a word for dark blue and a word for light blue. And English does not, not in general speech, you know, there's Cyrillian and stuff like that. And so when they test Russian speakers versus English speakers, Russian speakers can identify the light blue and dark blue like 200 milliseconds faster than English speakers. And according to, you know, this is statistically significant, but that hardly indicates like a conceptual divergence in the two populations, you know? Yeah. And whether or not like Putin was in the room while they were being tested. (laughs) That's right. He's like, go faster. You know, (laughs) there's a great book uh, by John McWhorter, who's a linguist called The Language Hoax. And um, he kind of goes through the arguments about neo-Warfianism and he kind of outlines why it's not true. Anyway, so I I bring all that up just to say that the idea behind the story is that this person learns an alien language and it changes the way she experiences time, which can't possibly happen. Linguistic determinism is not going to do that to you. But the story itself is really cool in what it does. And that's why I wanted to bring it in because the way it plays with that like alien conceptual process, like the way you would see things differently with an alien consciousness is really neat. And I really liked that and thought it'd be fun to talk about. Yeah, I saw the movie when it came out and I remember it because it was great and I cried like a lot. Oh my God. And then when you were like, I got a really long story to read, I was like, that's fine. You know, I'll make time. And I opened it up and it only took, I say it was really long. It was like 60 pages. The PDF was like 30, but it was two pages of a book per page. So I was like, okay, yeah, this is a legit short story. And by the third actual page of it, I was like, Wait a second. <laughs> I was so proud of myself for <laughs> picking it up that quickly, given how long the story was. And um, I was also like so mad on Ted's behalf because what this most recently happened with was the Netflix series Queen's Gambit. And everybody's raving about the Queen's Gambit. There's even a story at one point about how many times it took to get the script approved before Netflix bit. And I was like, all right. So I bought the book and it is almost verbatim throughout chronologically, but also dialogue wise, scene by scene, the book. And I was like, how many times did you reinvent the wheel before you had to admit that the original text was (laughs) impossible to perfect? And it's similar in this sense because it was written by a guy who knew everything. He didn't know everything about chess, but he learned everything about chess. And he's also the guy that wrote the book behind the hustler, which is all about pool. And this is a guy that knows his shit. And this is a story that we're going to, that we read by Ted, who understands, even if this is like you said, a discredited concept, you're reading it. And he's like a true sci-fi writer in the sense that he has to know his stuff. It has to be believable, even if it's not accurate. And it has to be like as accurate as it can be to what we know before you can like make that leap and say, I could see this happening. Right. So like you said, 
you were willing to make the leap, even though, you know, certain things have been discredited and it's because of how well he expertly handles this content. So yeah. um, they also talked about in the Queen's Gambit. Oh, they're talking to the actress and she was great. The show was great. It made me read the book, but nobody was talking about the author. That's why I'm pissed because he's dead too. Well, yeah. Yeah. So we don't got to talk about him. He's dead. But they, I remember we're like oh, so impressed with that. This actress figured out how to like move chess pieces. Not that she learned how to play chess because she didn't have to, but that she could remember what she had to do like on a blocking basis to like move each piece. And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about like what the author had to learn to write those game scenarios because he wasn't writing about kids playing chess. He was writing about world champions. So credit where it's due here. And I was thrilled to kind of read this and see how technical he got with it because the movie is obviously a sanitized version. And I rewatched the film this weekend after reading this so that I oh, could really? like, okay. oh yeah, John, I was very into it. And I, I cried even more this time. Blake was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm not, but let's watch <laughs> some Cartoon Network or something uh, to cleanse the palate because my existential crisis is in full bloom. So the movie does a good version, uh, a, a good interpretation of everything because the book is, is that, or the story is that good. But the short story itself just had more time and the words and the patience of a reader to kind of like show you the concepts and make you believe it. Like that's good sci-fi. It has to be that good on the page before they'll adapt it. The technical, the technicalities of this. I mean, I have a, an interest in physics. Um, I, I didn't study it, but I've read a lot and just kind of consume popular science stuff about physics and stuff. So all that rang true to me, rang correct to me, whatever that's worth. But all the linguistics <laughs> It rang stuff correct was- to me too, John. <laughs> All the linguistic stuff was great too. I mean, there's like, you know, little things here and there, but it's, you know, there are different schools in linguistics. I'll just put it that way. But yeah, that's exactly right. The command of the um, of the conceit, the command of the material behind the conceit is so complete that you are just overcome by it. And it the, the great thing about the story is that is such a huge part of it, but it's not the most important part of it. That creates the scenario, but it's not what the scenario is. Right. Right. I didn't read a whole lot about Ted Chang before this podcast. I, I skimmed a couple of things about him, but one of the things I read talked about how, oh, I forget the exact word. It's basically a huge compliment that his sci-fi has heart to it, you know? So he's not writing this stuff to like nerd out with you or to like make you think, what would it really look like in a world where we could conceive of time this way? It's more like the story itself being that this woman can and to give it away even after like getting this gift from aliens to see time out of order and to jump around in memories future and past she still chooses the exact like heartbreak of her life yeah like she chooses her divorce she chooses to have to give birth to a daughter that she knows dies of cancer when she's 20 something she chooses it that was the movie after, yeah this is the entire movie no the the movie was the cancer the story was the uh, rock climbing yeah story is different um i remember i noticed that too i was like what what <laughs> yeah cancer is easier than introducing like a mountain concept <laughs> yeah but yeah, uh, there's yeah because it's like in montage that. that you learn about this yeah and also like you read the short story and you watch the film i'm just going to talk about the short story you, you read the short story and you think to yourself that you you go into it knowing that the daughter has passed away right you kind of 
get the sense from the beginning, the way she's dipping in and out of what we think are flashbacks and what we later realize are her daily sort of like time hopping tendencies now that she's Flash got this gift. Yeah. Like she's constantly um, like knocked off balance by these memories. And we think that she's got like PTSD from losing her daughter, but really she's being brought back to these wonderful moments with her and these terrible moments. So we go into it thinking like that the daughter's already passed away and she gets called up to interpret this alien language, but really the alien language is first. She doesn't even give birth to the daughter until like five or six years later. And that's why it's called the story of your life because she's talking to her daughter. She's saying like, this is what happened and I still chose it because you were wonderful while you were here. Oh, yeah. If you want to fucking sob, like I'm yeah. talking sob. One other movie has done this for me and it was Cormac McCarthy's The Road and just sobbing. Like one of those movies you shut it off and you have to, you have to do something else because it has boiled over. You're, you're crying as you walk out of the theater, right? That is good writing. Yeah. I like the story better than the movie and because it focuses on that, on her. It's like you said, it has more heart, I think, than the movie because the movie tries to bring in these geopolitical issues and like calling the, the Chinese uh, yeah, it leans into the alien plot. Yeah, and more of that. But this is like fully focused on her kind of considerations of the future of her daughter, mm-hmm. um, of their daughter, and what she's going to do with that understanding. Right. And even the the scientific kind of or the alien, like the way the language changes, the way she thinks, and the way that the, the guys uh, um, talks about physics being different. They discuss the, la- the linguistics and the physics of time and just perspective perspectives on time, how that discussion, that kind of reconsideration of how to view time changes the way she thinks about her decision-making because she thinks about it as a decision without saying like, I'm thinking of this as a decision. This whole story is focused on this decision she has to make. It's really tight in that way. Whereas the movie, I think is more, a little more spread out. Yeah. The movie is not trying to like tip you off to the ultimate takeaway. It's not trying to tell you or hint even at like what's happening the way the short story is like there's glimpses of it throughout the movie where you're kind of wondering what's going on with these flashbacks but there's so many more clues in the fiction itself that if you're paying attention and you probably are you you are more tightly focused on like these flashbacks than you are the alien stuff one thing we could talk about this as writers is the way the flashbacks are in the future yes i was that's what i was just gonna say that's what tipped me off to a lot of this stuff there's this uh this construction that she uses over and over and i mentioned i marked like two or three times she'll start a, a section there'll be like a break a little hiatus yeah. and it'll say i remember once when we'll be driving to the mall that's yes. like i remember the future tense right yes i remember that we will do this it's such a marked construction you're like that is unusual that is strange yes that it really forces you to consider what's going on there yeah the one that i grabbed was i remember one day during the summer when you're 16 and like you you can gloss over that the way you can gloss over the one that you just read but by page eight where that one happens like you're already like what's going on with these flashbacks and in the movie the flashbacks are done in pure montage we know one way to do flashbacks in film it's like to throw a sepia filter on shit (laughs) to like you know 
enter this like dream state. Like there are so many cues visually that ignore the nuances here of grammar. And that's what's so impressive about this short story because otherwise he would have to, how else could you do that? It has to be as subtle as grammar for there to be this wallop at the end to understand what's happening, right? Or else he would have to explain to you why it is he's picked. I remember when you're 16, like what, what, what's going on? There's a great moment near the, near, not near the end, but nearer to the end kind of you're, you're, you're figuring out what's going on as an aside i really wish i could have read this story before i saw the movie because i Me would too. have loved to experience it without knowing but there's a moment where she says like uh they're having a conversation she and her daughter like um i'm not sleepy you'll whine etc it doesn't matter you still have to go to bed but why because I'm the mom and I said so I'm actually going to say that aren't I God somebody please shoot me I'll pick you up and carry you under my arm to your bed like that I'm actually going to say that as future tense. And then God, right. somebody please shoot me as present tense. And yes. it's such a great little um, interjection or like yeah. a, an aside in her forward flashing. It's almost like you could see a version of it where she's talking to her daughter and she hasn't had her yet. And she's predicting it the way you see like some second person stuff almost yeah but yeah it's the way those sections start where it's like and you i remember i think the i remember is probably the most important right because you can only remember past events yeah remember is in the present tense so and it yeah. has to be about the past like you said yeah and then the, the memory is in the future so that really yeah. plays with that i was so excited when i realized like i said on page three what i was getting into because like it all came flooding back so then i did get to like read those sections knowing what to look for to see how you achieve this and yeah it's great i also like so it was written in 2000 like you said i like when fiction i don't like when fiction is so specific like time wise that there's something like a razor cell phone because then it can date the piece quickly too but there was this modern sense not just in the technology of the alien stuff because sci-fi has been doing this kind of technology stuff forever right seeing yeah, in the future right. so it's like it could be futuristic or it could be present But what I liked about it that felt like modern to me was those kind of asides like you mentioned where she's like, God, I'm going to say that. She particularly has really good um, banter with the other sci- the other scientist. The, is he a physicist? Yeah, a physicist. Yeah, their banter feels like modern to me. She views him as an intellectual equal, but she's like still like occasionally going to punch below the belt. And and then there's like obviously like the sexual chemistry, which helps when there's a film and you can see it. <laughs> yeah. When they were like, we're in bed together, I was like, whoa, I thought we were just talking about numbers. I didn't know you guys are like looking at each other's asses too he invited her over for dinner once and then yeah uh, the next morning there was something before that too like they were gonna go out to dinner yeah they stopped at the store there's like two little events and then they're in bed and you're like oh okay, yeah that progressed. <laughs> yeah and then like if you watch the movie it makes more sense because you realize just that they're like at this alien site for literally months and they are like hanging out when they're not talking to the aliens yeah yeah but here i was like wait a second you guys are supposed to be working so what else do we like about the way this is executed? It's fascinating. We had uh, somebody submit a story with future tense sections for the workshop, and they do something weird to it changes the way you interact with the story. You don't see a lot of future tense tellings. So the fact that this story had a lot of that, which obviously there's a very specific reason for it in this story. When it's in a section and it's like kind of contained and then you could see on the page for the short story that you were going to shift back to the in 
unseen science stuff with the aliens. There'd be like this gap. Then it would read like normal prose. But then there are a couple like kind of glitches in the matrix, which is like intentional, where the more she's around the aliens, the more these like flashbacks become intertwined with what's presently happening, at least in our concept of it. Yeah. So the word was like the biggest giveaway, but there's also a moment when they're at the grocery store and she's grabbing the salad bowl dish and she like yeah. it like physically touching it triggers a memory. Whereas other parts of the story have been sectioned off and seemingly unrelated. Yes. Like, you know, when we talk about like stories that are told this way, you could take out all the chunks about the daughter and the chunks about the aliens and read both straight through and have two separate stories. And then like, that's one way that I have written stories like this on my own is to write them separately and then just like fucking insert the paragraphs. And a lot of times it works, Yeah, like alternate. And this then at the end, it starts to fall apart because it's like intertwined. And that's where like the tense gets really weird. But also when your brain is by that point like fully and like you said we we had the advantage of having seen the film but your brain is totally catching on you're waiting for this it starts happening and you're you get it you get that something is happening in terms of past and present like combining she's not just having like ptsd yeah i think it must have helped him to i don't know how much he obviously i don't know how he wrote this but i imagine that knowing that the present moment like anytime she used the present tense in this telling was was like ruminations on that patio or veranda or wherever she was sitting on that one night, two years after they got married, when she's about to conceive her daughter. And then past tense is all this, all the alien stuff is told in ordinary past tense, the way you tell any story. And then all the future stuff is stuff that happens after the conception, all the stuff with the daughter in the future. So the fact that he was able to pinpoint a specific present moment and then build the tense structure of the story around that present, that moment so that he knew oh. in what tense to put all those things like really helped to keep everything straight. Like when it's like that one where, uh, where she's like, Oh, I'm actually going to say that that's her thinking in the present moment about the future. And then right. somebody shoot me is in the present tense because that's a present moment reflection on her, what she's thinking about the future, but that really helps. I think. To, to keep in mind what the present moment is. And, you know, it's it's spelled out in the beginning what the present moment is. Right. You know, she says, right now, your dad and I have been married for about two years, living on Ellis Avenue. She says specifically in the beginning, right now, we've been married for two years. Everything in the past is before that, and everything in the future is after this, as you will come to see. Yeah, and like you said it, uh, I think you said this earlier, like that present tense is the moment when she's going to make this decision. Yeah. So it's interesting to kind of go back not just with past and future tense, but with both of them informing that moment because we know that she views time differently. It's not uh, chronological, right? So like what happens in the future and what happened in the past inform the present decision, which is why you have to come at it like from both. It's it's brilliant. And I wonder how he came up with this. And (laughs) I'm very jealous. And like, if I wrote this, I would never write anything ever again. My resume would just be this PDF. (laughs) <laughs> it's like here give me all the awards i have this yeah. <laughs> this is my body of work 
No, it's it is very good. Do we dare have a takeaway for something like this? Yeah, I have a takeaway. Do we dare hope to aspire? What is the takeaway, John? It's very general. It's nothing specific. I mean, because like all the tense stuff we've been talking about and all that kind of stuff, you can't really, how do you take that away? This is such a specific scenario. But just thinking about the fact that he got us to reprocess the concept of time in this story, made me think of when you read about aliens, you know, (laughs) most of the time they're just people, right? And there's a real difficulty of presenting something that's truly alien, you know, with a truly alien point of view, truly alien conceptual structure. So my takeaway is if I'm going to write about aliens, I should think about how to make them really alien. (laughs) Not just blue people. Yeah. I mean, for that story, the blue people story, that made sense. I mean, it was perfectly fine, but I think there's a lot of interesting things I can see. Like if stories are about what it means to be human, then getting it a truly alternate perspective on ourselves can maybe enlighten certain aspects of that. I think about like the concept of um, object identity, you know, when, uh, when you're watching a car and it drives behind something and you know, and it reemerges from the other side that it's the same car, it's because your brain has like tagged oh. it. And you know that like, obviously like one car didn't go back there and a different car come out. It's the same car, but you know, an alternate conceptual system might not do that. And what would it be like to live like that? Right. I have no idea because my Terrible. brain doesn't do that. <laughs> so that seems like a suggestion, like specific to sci-fi and aliens where yeah, it's like, it but I like that because it's probably something you can think about like in overall fiction where it's like, is your concept for a story something that you've heard before or that someone would easily say, yeah, it's like this story if words uh, failed them or could you good. really, really, really maybe think a little harder before you start? It doesn't have to be like, I don't know, we talk all the time about every, every story has been written and there's probably elements in the story where it's like, yeah, this is a very familiar theme of choosing heartache right yeah but i like that concept just broadly um have you like stretched the limits of your imagination before you actually started to write something that may or may not be really original yeah that, that's good this story is definitely not just pulling something off the shelf and uh, using no. it. Ted wasn't like copying i don't think <laughs> <laughs> i don't think he could have hoped to have plagiarized this Well, I have like two takeaways. One would be if you wanted to write sci-fi, you could do some crazy stuff like this where it's like you said, got the linguistics, got the physics all kind of articulated accurately. But what I like about it and what we probably both like about it mostly is the fiction story at the center of it, like the heart that he is credited with having in his work. So, I mean, this is a gateway drug for sci-fi, like something that makes me ball my eyes out and then just make it sci-fi. So go yeah. back to your old stuff. What was like a really heartfelt thing, but that was typical, like a breakup. Okay, now add sci-fi. And I guarantee <laughs> you, you'll not only have readers, but uh, you'll have like a director saying, yeah, let's hype up the sci-fi. That's right. But the story is is already there. It's, it's like, you know, Star Wars is not about planets. It's about paternity. So anyway, my other takeaway is kind of what I mentioned in terms of structure, which is something I've done before where it's like, if you do want to tell something in flashback, like I said, like you said, we're not going to try to do what this guy did with tense because you can't, it's too specific and we'll know you were copying Ted. But (laughs) if you wanted to tell something in flashback, you can write the whole story and then write the other present tense. I've done this and then I've just gotten so late and just smashed them together and it works. It works. And it almost 
works better than if you were try to try to tell yourself, and now I will insert a flashback. Yeah. It doesn't have to work that naturally. Like you can just like plot it out and it, it's crazy. I think it works a lot of times. So those are my takeaways. That reminds me, I've, there's been a couple of stories over the years in the workshop where somebody comes in and it feels like it's, they do want, they do what you were talking about where they're one half of the story is like the background and the other yeah, half yeah, of the yeah. story is like the story. And my advice is usually take those two things and like a deck of cards, shuffle them together and then you'll have a better story. Yeah. And I think that shuffling is what's important. It almost doesn't matter. Like you said, what order it's in. No, it's like the more random it is, the more the uh, scholars will say, look at this expertise yeah. anyway this was terrific like i if i talk about too long i will start crying again like you guys should all read the story it like top 10 for me the movie was already up there but like the story incredible can't get enough of it this is an excellent story. this one excellent story the other one that you recently picked the wood or the uh they're hunting deer but it was like cli-fi ish and you knew i would like it like her, they were getting oh, yeah. the uh oh terrific items awaiting protective enclosure yeah incredible Anyway, everybody go read it. Okay, thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website, NaplesWritersWorkshop.com. And for daily writing tips, industry news, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop.